This is Del Del Medina, Executive Director of Black and Brown Founders. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast, Rewriting the Playbook. If you like the conversations we have on here, I want to invite you to be a part of your own rewrite. Join us at Chroma on October 7th in Philadelphia. Chroma is a convening where Black and Brown Founders come together to make a change. This year's theme is where culture meets money. And we're planning discussions centered around culturally connected entrepreneurship, crypto, and Web3, and real estate. You won't want to miss out on the opportunity to gain insights into these hot topics and connect with leaders innovating across these industries. You can also look forward to live performances, authentic headshots, and local foods that highlight culture and emphasize wellness. Save the date. Again, that's October 7th. And join us for Chroma 23, an event that's sure to be a game changer for you and your business. Go to blackandbrownfounders.com to learn about Chroma 23. Hey everyone, my name is Josh Torres and you're listening to Rewriting the Playbook. Rewriting the Playbook is a podcast by the Black and Brown Founders, and I'm here at Chroma 22, the Money Edition in Philadelphia. We've had some conversations with many interesting people centered around how money makes them feel. We also talked about wealth, legacy, and community connection. Here's my conversation with Ramona Ortega. Hey, Ramona. Hi, how are you? Doing well. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the Rewriting the Playbook podcast as we're here in Philly at Chroma 2022 talking about money. I love it. That's my favorite topic. I'm always talking about money. So super excited to be here. It's been a great day exchanging information, learning. People are just so actively involved right now and people wanting to learn more. So that's why we're here. Yeah. Absolutely. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do? Well, I'm a fintech entrepreneur. Um, I was a securities litigator on Wall Street before that. And um, prior to that, I did about 12 years, 15 years in international human rights and policy work. Um, I've always been focused on addressing the racial wealth gap. Um, It's really, I think, part and parcel of my story. I'm a fourth generation California, uh, daughter of farm workers, first to go to college, um, first to become a lawyer in my family. So wealth inequality has always been something that's been a focus of my work, economic sort of mobility. Um, and, you know, I think that my story is is a lot um, similar to so many people, right, which is why I think people kind of gravitate to um, what I'm talking about, which is we are the largest demographic. People of color, gen- you know, in uh, communities have... $3 trillion in buying power, but we own less than 3% of the wealth. We have to fix that. Um, this is the sort of the last piece of, of really human rights and achieving equity um, in terms of sort of when we think about the long-term goals, we need to close the, the wealth gap. It's really about the opportunity gap. Um, and given the time period in which we're living right now, especially, we are seeing the next you know, generational wealth being created in Silicon Valley, and we're not represented in the ways that we need to be equitably, um, especially when you think about the fact that Silicon Valley is in the heart of the Bay Area, um, the heart of California, which is a predominantly Latino state. So um, my work focuses on that. And I, you know, so law, diversity, 
tech, <laughs> crypto, finance, all things money. Yeah, I love it because our history and backgrounds have intersected so many times. I always love having conversations with you. Uh, given all the context you were just sharing around your amazing expertise and experiences, I'm curious to bring it a little bit more personal. Uh, we've been asking everyone this question. How does money make you feel? <laughs> how does it make me feel? Anxious. Anxious. Yeah. Um, so I am writing a book and the working title. Um, and I think what, what I really focus on is no shame in the money game. And the reason that that's the title is because there's so many people that I think feel bad about being poor, feel bad about money mistakes, feel bad about not having enough or not knowing, um, and feel stuck. And I think that's what I want to change. I want to change that narrative. Um, and, you know, I'm still in it. I, I don't, I mean, I don't consider myself even that successful. I mean, there's on paper I am, but that doesn't show up in my bank account. And until I can really feel like that is represented in my bank account, money is always going to make me anxious. It also makes me empowered in some way because I, I do feel like I'm one of, you know, a few people that really understands kind of all elements of finance. Um, and it's, and it's been my superpower. And that's what I think, um, really drives me is to make sure that other people feel just as empowered talking about money. Yeah. I, I love that you've kind of turned that into your superpower. And one thing I would love for you to tell our listeners about is the amazing Thrive campaign that you lead, because I think a lot of that work is so uh, important and impactful. Absolutely. So we feel um, privileged and honored to be working with not only black and brown founders, but to be partnering with the NASDAQ Foundation on the Thrive campaign. And it's really rooted in giving people the tools and knowledge to build intergenerational wealth. Um, and the idea of don't just survive, thrive came about really in conversations in fintech where there's a lot of focus on financial health. And the more I started hearing, you know, or really unpacking how people are talking about financial health, the more I realized it's like, no, I don't want that. I don't want to just be healthy. Because financial health really means the ability to pay your bills on time, to have an emergency savings. It's basically the status quo to make sure you're not failing, right? And I get that. We need to have that economic security. But I don't want just that. I want economic mobility. I want our people to be thriving. I want us to be angel investors. I want us to be invested in the stock market, to be buying properties, to have money to do what we want, right? I, this is, it's the opportunity cost that sometimes we don't even account for. Um, and so that's how the name came about, right? Don't just survive, but thrive, uh, to move people past that sort of just economic security marker. Um, and what we plan to be doing over the next year and a half is to really activate and educate 1 million new black and brown investors and doing that through partnerships with organizations, working with corporate ERG groups and um, universities. So really having a distribution channel for um, not only our investment boot camp, which is available to folks who sign up, but also be in community and be in conversation um, just like we were doing today here in Philly. And we've already had events in Albuquerque, New Mexico, Chicago, Los Angeles, um, and we're coming to a city near you. 
exciting. I think everyone will love to have you talking about the importance of financial planning and, you know, again, going beyond just that that bar of health and to a place of thriving. I think you had one of my favorite quotes of the day when you said, you know, not having a financial plan is still a plan. It's just a bad one. So <laughs> I love that. And I don't know if you could talk a little bit more about the importance of just bringing intentionality to this. That's right. And, and, and you're so on point. It really is about being intentional. Um, I've always thought of myself as someone who's kind of put forth these self-fulfilling prophecies. Um, I mean, even when I was really young, it was sort of like I was always thinking into the future, right? What do I want to do next? What do I want to do next? It's never enough. I would say that one of the things that has contributed to my success so far is that I've never been satisfied where I'm at. Um, And I think that's kind of how I approach finance, too. I always say that money is just a means to an end, right? What's your end goal? Because it's not just about money in the bank. It's not just about being quote unquote rich. No. What's the value of that money for you? What does it buy you? What opportunity does it buy you? I mean, I joke, but sort of not joking. I want to buy a castle, right? I want to have a castle. I want to have pigs and sheep and and all of these things, right? And so that's what money is going to buy me, right? It's that peace in the future of living on this land and riding horses and things like that. So to me, that five-year plan and that intentionality is really about how do you get there? How do we get you there the best way, the fastest way, the most efficient way? Um, And I think that's really important. So it's not just five years. I I think there's the five-year plan, which is you're like, let's get to the next milestone. And then there's like the 15 to 20-year plan, which is, Money is a means to end. What's your end goal, right? Some people talk about retirement. I don't like to talk about it in terms of retirement because I think you can get it before retirement. Retirement is just like an age and, and under the tax code in which you can withdraw from your retirement plans. I don't, that's not, it doesn't matter to me. I'm like, I want some of that money now. I want to enjoy my life now. I want a house. I want these, I want to invest in other companies. You know, I want to, I want to give to nonprofits that I believe in their missions. Like there's many things I want to do with my money right now. I don't want to wait till retirement to somehow enjoy my money. Right. And there's different ways to do that, but these plans get us closer. Right. Um, And then I think, you know, in terms of the intergenerational wealth piece, which is the legacy piece that you're always kind of planning, you're building assets along the way so that you have something left over at the end of the day to pass on. Now, I love that you talk about money as a tool and that it enables you. I, I feel similarly like I want to enjoy my life right now. <laughs> and this idea of retirement, you know, I, I'm still young. I want to be able to hike and go travel and do things and not wait until I'm in my 60s. So everything you say always resonates with me because I'm like, yes, it's a, it's a yes. And, and I want to use this tool as a way to kind of create the life that I want. Right. And I, I don't think... Um, people are always thinking in that mindset, especially people from our community, which we have a lot of conversations about as well. And I don't know if you want to speak a little bit about, you know, bringing this to our community and Latinos and black and brown founders generally. Yes, absolutely. I think that the messenger matters. You know, we've been underserved in so many ways because traditional financial services doesn't get the nuances. We have various cultural financial beliefs. Um, We have different cultural norms around money. I think we're much more collective. I always joke that for, especially in Latino families, that, you know, um, you are your parents' retirement plan. (laughs) 
you know, no, I never think about my mom living anywhere else except with us, right? We think about our money and our families collectively. So it doesn't matter that you're rich, you know, because you're going to probably give money to, you know, your brother or maybe an, it's a cousin that needs some support, right? There's always a, an extended um, sort of economic burden, if you will. Um, and that's okay. So how do you plan for that, right? And I think the other thing is that when we're in community with each other, we have much more deeper and richer conversations about money, about the why, right? And the how. And and again, it erases some of that shame or that embarrassment of like, oh, I know everybody else knows this stuff and I don't, or I made all these mistakes. It's like, yeah, you made mistakes because the system's not made for you. You know, I remember my first credit card was like a Victoria's Secret credit card, <laughs> right? They know, right? They targeted, you know, young Latina girl. Of course, I'm like, why was that my first credit card? And, you know, those are just like funny stories about sort of like how money has always kind of been an issue in my life, right? It's come up and I've lived this stuff, which is another reason why the messenger matters. It's like, no, this isn't like foreign. This isn't like, oh, I've made it and look at me now. No, it's like, no, I get it because I'm going through it all the time. Now I'm smarter around my money in terms of like having the ability because of the work that I've done that I know a lot about finance, but you can know a lot about money and still be broke. (laughs) You have to have the money to make it work for you, right? And I think that's sort of what my collective vision and my mission around my company and everything that I do is like, how do we get more money into our hands? We work really hard. Black and brown folks, immigrant folks, marginalized folks are the backbone of this economy. We're putting trillions of dollars into our, the labor force, but we're not reaping any of the rewards. I want us to reap some of the rewards, so, so true. And, you know, I love the point that you also made around uh, having more conversations, which is why events like this, Chroma, are so important and why I'm excited to be here and just listening and absorbing. And, you know, one of the other things that you brought to this conference were, was uh, Money Box. And I don't know if you can speak a little bit about that, but I thought it was one of the most amazing things I've seen and, and a really great tool. Right. So this is a partnership um, with uh, the company called the Money Date Box. And it's a friend of mine from FinTech who's a financial advisor, um, and, and Kathy and Twistle, and she's doing great work around women and money. And the idea really, I mean, stems from the fact that conversations around money are very hard to have with your partners, your husband or wife, whatever it may be, your family, they're really hard to have um, and without being either defensive or, you know, again, that shame or being, you know, secretive sometimes. And oftentimes we just don't have that structure to have the conversations. Like why when women get together, we talk about purses, men, dating, all this other stuff, but we don't talk about money. Although women in my circle talk about money all the time. <laughs> so this was a, we, we wanted to work with the Money Date Box to get something specifically for the Thrive Campaign. So we partner with them to do that. And it's basically a, a box of questions that really help you to have that conversation. And, you know, you can bring it to the dinner table. You can you can bring it on a night of, you know, having drinks or some wine. I mean, I would say use it for all kinds of conversations, but it, it introduces it in a way that doesn't feel intrusive. 
Because, you know, money is still very private. And I think part of it is that we just want people to have these conversations. Because sometimes it's not just a question about your particular account. It could be like, what is it that you want to do with a million dollars? Like, what would you do with a million dollars? What does it mean to to have made it for you? I mean, that number is different for everyone. Right. For some people, it's one hundred thousand dollars. For some people, it needs to be 10 million. Right. I mean, even that. How do you feel about taking care of your parents? This is a huge conversation with couples. They go in, they love each other, blah, blah, blah. All is bliss until, you know, maybe maybe your partner doesn't come from a family or community or culture that takes care of their parents in a different way. Then all of a sudden you're like, well, I have this isn't a burden. I have to do this. And this is going to cost about twenty-five to thirty thousand dollars a year. It's a very right. That's a hard conversation to have. Um, and then even for for women in particular, and we were talking about this earlier. I know so many women that are married and have no idea where where all the money is. They're like, "Oh, my husband takes care of that." And sure, chivalry is nice. I get it, but that's not the place to have it. <laughs> You know, you do not want to give up control of the money because what happens is in divorce, you have no idea how where the assets are, right? As a widow, you tend to be like overwhelmed. You're like, I don't know where the money is. Are you even titled on the house? Do you have life insurance? Does he have life insurance? Who is it going to, right? There's so many questions. And, and again, part of this is let's not see it as transactional. Let's see it about how you want to craft your life, even with, you know, thinking about life insurance or even burial insurance. Nobody wants to talk about death. I get that. I don't want to, I'm not trying to talk about death, but what I do know is that I don't want people to be struggling in the moment of having to deal with their grief. I'm like, who's going to pay for the burial? And especially in communities of color, the GoFundMe campaign has acted as a proxy for burial insurance. That's crazy. Right. And I mean, that's just one of the examples that comes to mind when we think about how we plan for this stuff. That shouldn't be a burden on everyone else. There are things that we can do nowadays to sort of combat that. And one of the reasons that I'm in fintech and and really appreciate what technology has brought to finance is that it has made things like this accessible. We have lowered the price and, and, and barriers to entry for many financial products because of financial technology. Yeah. And, you know, it all starts with those conversations, right? And normalizing those conversations within our communities so that none of this comes as a surprise and we can prepare ourselves so nothing is, you know, coming out of the woodwork and just affecting us. So another important issue to that point, and I know that there were some conversations here today about trauma and money. Poverty is trauma. And given the fact that we have intergenerational poverty in this country, particularly in communities of color, we can't untangle that. We have to talk about the trauma related to money and all of the things that we do as a result of that. And one of those things comes up a lot of times when people die. So a maybe it's a grandmother who had a home. And, I, and we've, I've been seeing this a lot now. These newly gentrified areas, whether that's Philly L.A., San Francisco, New York, these gentrified areas where black and brown communities lived and they may own property, maybe a grandmother owns property, something happens, grandmother passes away, and all of a sudden all of the trauma in that family comes out in a dispute around the, the house 
or the selling of a home or what's left over and who got what and people stop talking to each other and there's all this fighting because no one's ever talked about it, right? And so that trauma plays out in these conversations around money. Oh, you get this and she never liked me and this, that, and the other. I mean, it's just money always brings out the worst in people. Um, and so the sooner that we can talk about those things, the sooner we can have those conversations, it's not about hurt feelings. It's more about like, look, this is, here's what's going to happen. And that's why I'm a big believer in like having those conversations around a trust, life insurance, understanding what you want to do with that money. Um, so that there is no hard feelings. No, I love that. And I think that's so connected to just thinking about self-care when it comes to money. And I'm curious if you have any self-care practices around money outside of just having those conversations. Wow. I need to be better. I don't have any that I can share right now that I'm proud of. <laughs> I will say this. I'm very aware now that I spend more money um, without really thinking about it when I'm stressed out. So what I try to do is to make sure I sleep well, um, that I'm not tired. I think t being tired for me is probably one of the biggest triggers of, of wasting money. I'll buy shoes because my feet hurt. I'll take extra cabs because I'm tired and I just want to get home. So for me, it's now about like making sure I'm planning around that so that I'm not wasting money because I'm compensating for this other thing. And even that awareness, I think, is very helpful. Yeah, I love that. I think those are great tips. Uh, as we're wrapping up, is there anything else you want to share with the listeners that we didn't cover? Yes, actually. And it, it goes back to some of the um, opportunities that we have with Thrive. So one of the things that I did during COVID was create an investment boot camp. Um, and the reason I did that was that during COVID or right at the start of COVID, the stock market basically crashed. If you had money, and like a lot of you know folks did, white folks had lots of money in cash, they used that money to buy up more stock. So they became richer. In the meantime, many communities of color suffered the consequences of COVID, whether it's small businesses or otherwise. So it created an even greater gap in wealth because when you have, when you understand the fundamentals, when you have liquidity, when you can have accounts that you can manage in the right way, you're able to take advantage of those kinds of moments. And so I think it was really important for me to be like, what do people need to know? What are they missing? And this was also the rise of GameStop, which, by the way, I'm in the HBO GameStop um, documentary, so check it out, um, that you got a craze of people like, oh, let's buy GameStop. You know, I'm in Reddit group. And I was like, okay, that's fine. I'm not even opposed to it. But in, you still need to understand the fundamentals because when that crashes at some point and becomes a reality around the real value of the company, then don't be surprised. And so what I went out to do was really create an investment boot camp that what I thought answered the questions that most people need to, to know in terms of the fundamentals. Investing is many things. Most of us are investors. We don't identify as that, maybe, but you are. If you own a home, you're an investor. If you own 401k, you're an investor, right? I mean, there's many things in terms of investment, but 401ks, IRAs, brokerage accounts, they all have different purposes, and there's different rules, and there's different tax you know, rules that you need to understand. And so what I wanted to do is go about and, and create that boot camp that gave people real understanding. That way they can start to think about, oh, okay. 
when I when I say I want to start investing, I'm going to ask you, well, what kind of accounts do you want to invest in? Do you want to buy stocks? Then you're going to have a brokerage account. Do you want to be investing in your 401k? Then you're looking at ETFs, or you're going to have to look at what they offer through your employer. So we break all of that down. And again, it's not complicated, but there are a lot of pieces, and understanding how they work together is really important. And so people are going to get access to that eight-week course um, by signing up for Thrive. And so I um, encourage everyone to do that. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm going to sign up. <laughs> I feel like there's so much I can learn from that. Uh, and, and yeah, finally, you know, where can our listeners find you online, connect with you and continue the conversation? Sure. So you can find me on Twitter at dinero underscore diva. Um, I am also on IG at my money, my future. Um, and then LinkedIn, Ramona Ortega. I'm pretty open to um, connections and networks. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today, Ramona. We're so excited to have you. Thank you. That was my conversation with Ramona Ortega at Chroma 2022, The Money Edition. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. You can also follow Black and Brown Founders on Instagram and Twitter at BB Founders. And you can follow me at The Josh Torres on Twitter. Thanks so much for listening to Rewriting the Playbook. I'm Josh Torres. See you next time.